Second Peter, we've been spending our time there, and we're going to continue. Of course, the book of Second Peter is written by Peter at this stage of life where he knows it's about time he's going to go to home to be with the Lord. So when people finish their race or about ready to finish, what they say is important. And he gives exhortation for them to grow. He challenges them and he warns them about false teachers. And he reminds them about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is kind of like exhortation, explanation, and anticipation. Great Christians always live with the understanding that Jesus could come at any time. He's coming again. Ready or not, he's coming again. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Scoffers can laugh their way into hell, but they can't laugh their way out of it. And people have opinions about what's going to happen and if Jesus is really coming back. And in the days that Peter lived, that was the problem. There were multiple, multiple issues going on. There was a doubt about the Word of God, how we got these stories and Old Testament prophets. How did you get this? Who wrote this anyway? He said, this prophecy did not come in old time by the will of man, but as holy men of God spake, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were doubting that there's a reckoning. They, they, were, they were saying, you know what, you, you can live however you want to. Don't let people scare you and tell you that you have to give an account. That's just a bunch of junk. And he's telling them there is a reckoning. There were a number of other challenges. There was rebellion against authority. A huge amount of, of uh, self-will. Just whatever you want to do, you do it. And of course, this was propagated not only in the hearts of you and I, we have these problems. Every one of us have doubt from time to time. One of Satan's very famous uh, ways to use to get Christians struggling is to send them doubt. That's why the Bible tells us, put the shield of faith that you can quench the fiery darts of the wicked. To shoot fire over, shoot a fiery darts over the wall of your mind to set your whole head on fire with doubt. By the way, all of us are prone to that. Just like birds fly overhead, but don't let them make a nest in your hair. <laughs> they can fly over your head and doubts can come and you're wondering if God's good and if God's good, why has this happened to me and so forth and so on. But we can go back to the word of God and Peter's going to challenge him with the scriptures. But he's going to tell them there are many people who look like Christians, who somewhat act like Christians, but they're not true Christians. There are leaders, Jesus said in Matthew, by their fruits, you'll know them. What, do they, what is their source of their speech? Is it their own mind? Is it pop psychology? Or is it the scriptures? What is their opinion of the Savior, Jesus Christ? See, the only way we can have eternal life is through Jesus. Are they getting their things from the, from the right source? Are they talking right about the Savior? Are they right on salvation? Salvation. The Bible gave us the Bible for two reasons. Number one, to show us how to live, excuse me, how to get to heaven from here, how to be forgiven, how you can be reconciled to God. See, we got all a problem. We're all sinners. God's holy and we're not. If you think for a moment you can step in the presence of God in your own righteousness, it's not possible. I don't live very far from here, but if I didn't know you and you just walked in my door, opened my screen door, opened my main door, walked into my living room and sat across from room from me, we would have issues. 
I'd probably say, you know, I don't know who you are, and I'm not sure why you feel such liberty, but we're going to meet each other on the driveway. <laughs> Go out, and I'll see you in just a second. But everything would be different if you walked in behind my son. I've got seven sons. If you came in behind my son, my son came in and said, Dad, this is. I would know you no much more except for maybe your name. Or he said, my friend, I would accept you because you came in with my son. That's why the Bible says, he that hath the son hath everlasting life. He that hath not the son hath not life. So you go into eternity with your sin or with God's son. Peter preached that. God used him in a wonderful way and is still true today. Not only to give us the Bible so we know how to get to heaven, but we know how to live on our way to heaven. So you can kind of see a false teacher by their source, by their opinion of the Savior, by their explanation of salvation. When someone tells you, you have to be saved, but then baptized to go to heaven, we got a false teacher. Baptism is a work. Can't earn your way. You had to get baptized to go to heaven. The thief on the cross didn't go to heaven. No, baptism is, an, is, uh, baptism is something we do because we're saved, not so we can be saved. And as you talk to people and they'll say, you know, uh, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I think I am. Why? Because I'm a pretty good person. Bad answer. <laughs> False teachers would teach you, well, you need to do this, this. I remember stopping uh, a church leader one time in Chicago and asking them, what do you tell people when they ask you what you need to do to have eternal life? I remember talking to him, and he would say, he would say well, you, you need to uh, do the best you can, and you need to make sure you do the sacraments. Confession would be vital. Boy, begin, make sure you're a member of the church. He gave me about five things real quickly I was supposed to do, and all of those are not necessary for salvation. Jesus did all that needed to be done so he could be saved. But false teachers can be seen by their, by their source. They can be seen by their opinion of the Savior. They can be seen by their opinion of salvation. By the way, is Jesus God? See, people have a wrong opinion of who Jesus is. think he's just a good person. I, I grieve when Jesus is looked down upon. Or he's, and when you speak, bring up Jesus, you don't know where to pucker or to duck. In order to hug or hide, you're not sure how people are going to deal with you. He's a very controversial, but uh, false teachers will say wrong things about him. And then, of course, about sanctification. False teachers will not teach the right thing about sanctification. We shared that a little bit this morning. Well, the Apostle Peter is taking his way. He has told the Christians that you need to put your faith in the person, the power, and the promises of Jesus. You need to take the things that God's given you, your divine nature, and give diligence to them. You know, the Christian life is work. And the Bible says, you can find Peter over and over, says in this book, give diligence, give diligence. He didn't say God to give diligence, he said you to give diligence. If you're working in your Christian life, you're probably your Christian life is working. It takes work. It takes effort and energy. It'll not be done on spare time and pocket change. He said, give diligence, add to your faith, salvation, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, uh, temperance, to temperance, godliness, and brotherly kindness, ultimately culminating in the word love, in the concept of love. Because this, all men know you're my disciples if you have love. What's the, the whole Bible can be summed up in two statements. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
We find it there. Is, and then he says, whenever these things are in you and abound, there's three things that are going to happen. You'll be fruitful. You'll have clear vision to be able to see what's really going on. And then you're going to be stable. You'll not fall. And those are things we need. He says, I want to remind you about that. And then he tells us, I got to rewarn you about false teachers. And uh, we've, we've went over that. Let's real quickly look at the passage we've, we've seen, and we'll just continue there if we can. Verse number 13, and they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness that they counted pleasure to write in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. He said, one thing about, about the, uh, the false teachers is they blend in to your feast, and they want to, they want to join, you, join in with you, but really, they stand out as something that really stains and messes up the true Christianity that God wants us to have. Verse 14, here's their, here's their mantra, here's their way of living, having eyes full of what? Immorality, adultery. They cannot cease from sin, addiction. They can't stop. They just keep doing the same wicked things. Beguiling what kind of souls? Unstable souls. The way one of the things that the false teachers and false, they, they definitely go after new believers. When you lead someone to Christ, someone gets saved, do your best to follow up with them. When a mother has a baby, almost immediately the Lord gives the mother's milk colostrum. It is a very high-powered antibacteria milk that comes. Even if a mother cannot long-term feed, nurse the baby, every doctor with a brain in his head wants the baby to get that early colostrum, wants them to get that milk. Because if they, if they don't get that milk, they can't, they, they're limited to fight off some of the things that they need. You know, when someone gets saved, you know what they need? They need somebody as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. They need someone to love them, someone to help them. Years ago, I haven't done this in a long time, and I'm very thankful. I would say, oh, they'd say, Pastor, I got to lead someone to the Lord. I'd say, tell me their name. Ah, oh, yeah, what is that person's name? Boy, I, nowadays, I ask that, people must figure it out. They want to tell me. I talked to someone today, said, what's, what's the name of the person? And they told me right away, her name was Melinda. His name, was, his name was Michael. Her name was Beatrice. And boy, they tell me real quickly, these are the people that got saved. Now, that's not it, but what it is, it means, okay, now what are you going to do about it? Can you write them? I was uh, witnessing on an airplane with a fella. His name is Billy, and he coaches. He's a basketball coach for Iowa State University. And I sat with him in the plane and began to go through the gospel, and he stopped me. He said, no. He said, Pastor... My wife and I were just laying in bed the other night, and she said, I wish somebody could tell me how I knew for sure I'd go to heaven. And I went through the gospel. He accepted the Lord as his Savior. He said, I can't wait to share my wife, Lindsay, this, this thing. And sure enough, I sent them the discipleship materials. I've been going back and forth with them. It's been over the last several months. The day he texted me, he said, Pastor, you'd be pleased to know that we took the kids out of the public school and got them in a Christian school so they can learn about uh, Christianity while they're learning about academics. And we've moved to our church. He had a traditional Orthodox church they went, went to. The, the, the liturgy was just, it wasn't, it wasn't true. And they said, we've gone to another church as well. So I thought, amen. And I thought, you'd be pleased to know. Well, I am pleased to know 
But boy, to communicate with them and help them grow in the Lord, that ought to be something that's a passion for all of us to do that because we do have competition. And that is false. To, I've been amazed how many times I'll lead someone to Christ and then they're over, overexcited Kingdom Hall uh, Jehovah Witness aunt wants to get all excited. Now, all of a sudden, they're saved now. Now, she wants to jump all over and say, where were we at Sunday? Oh, my aunt wanted me to go to church. Where is it? Kingdom Hall? I said, no. We got competition going there. How many times have you led someone to Christ and all of a sudden they get the midnight shift at work on Saturday night? Because I don't even know why. I've always been days all these years. Now I'm working midnights. I'm thinking, I can't make this anymore. Boy, anything to come up. False teachers bringing about uh, to unstable souls. That's why they need to be grounded in the truth. And you, you can't, you're not going to take everybody on the journey with you. Everybody lead to Christ is not going to be a vivacious Christian. But if you keep working at it and you really care, and you're going to be there, God's going to use you, and he'll bring people along through your testimony. You'll see it. Let's look real quickly. Here's the false teachers there. They work with unstable souls. Verse 14, their heart, had they have exercised with covetous practices. Would you, here's what he names them. Can you say the two words with me? Cursed children. You're going to see covetous practices, okay? Because as I said this morning, money's in the middle. False teachers, they're following, they're looking for a following, looking for fame, they're looking for money. You can see it, and they're all over the stinking television, all over oftentimes just trying to make merchandise of God's people. It's one of the things I struggle with. I don't want to, I don't mind talking about finances. We, we have a piece of property over in Laos we're trying to purchase. I'll talk about it later on. I'm excited about it. Another piece of property over in Peru, I believe God wants us to be a part in getting that property secured for the team. We don't own property there. I think it would be great for us to own property so we can start real quickly putting together um, uh, buildings and, 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 uh, and dormitories and those kind of things that can outlast us. But the truth of the matter is it does take men, it takes materials, media, and money to reach people with the gospel. But the false teachers have a different reason for money. It's usually on Learjets and luxuries and, and things that they're doing. You can see some, some of that. You can make sure. But, they, but they've got covetous practices. Let me say to you, I hate it when I see it in false prophets. I hate it when I see it in me. When I just think too much about it. Everything is a dollar bill. And boy, that's something that you ask God to help me, and I'm going to ask God to help you. We all think about it, but we ought to say, Lord, make me a channel, not a can. Make me a funnel, not a bucket. Help me to learn to take things and see as a steward and a manager and not an owner. For many of us, we don't know when enough is enough. We just, we're just thinking, well, I've got to have everything now. I've got to be secure. Let me tell you, your number one security needs to be Jesus. <laughs> if you have him, you're going to be okay. I'm not saying you, you, you dissolve all that stuff, but sometimes we just kind of, we, we, we try to manage everything. We want to manage how many kids we're going to have, when we're going to have kids. We're going to manage this. We'll manage that. I'm going to manage what I'm doing in my life. I want to make sure I have this. I'll make sure I'm secure. All that stuff is wise and wisdom is in some of that situation. But if you can trust God with your eternal destiny, you ought to be able to trust him with your day-to-day -day life. This is covetous practices they have. Verse 15, the Bible says, which have forsaken the right way and are gone following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor who loved the wages of unrighteousness, who was rebuked in his iniquity and the dumbass or donkey speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. He was just off his rug, out of his mind. 
In Numbers chapter 22 and 23, you'll find this particular story. Balaam was a Gentile prophet that definitely knew God, prophesied things that were very helpful to God's people. But a Moabite king, Balak, he wanted him to curse God's people. He feared God's people. So he found out if he could send some princesses and offer some money to Balaam, then he would curse God's people because they knew he was a man of God. On the first visit, he was able to shun them off. On the second visit, they brought more princesses and promised more money, and Mr. Balaam was bought out. And he, he was trying on his way to curse the people of God, riding a donkey, and the donkey has an angel in front of him that he can't see him, and he's trying to get the donkey to go. The angel's there, God's stopping him in his iniquity. And then uh, he's beating his donkey, he's trying to get his donkey to keep going, and uh, the, God gives the donkey a chance to say something. That's what I get encouraged. When donkeys talk, I'm encouraged, brother. When roosters can crow, then maybe I can say something worth hearing occasionally. But he went get that way, and of course, um, God stopped him. The donkey said, why don't you quit hitting me? You're not supposed to be doing this. There's an angel in front of you, and he got the picture. You know, Balaam is wicked. By the way, all of us have, have a level of commitment to the Lord. The deeper we go in our love for Christ, the higher our commitment becomes. We've got to be careful we're not have a price. One banking officer went to a new clerk, and he said, if I gave you $50,000, would you kind of fudge the books to make us look a little bit better? And the kid said, yeah, I probably would. He said, if I gave you $100, would you do it? He goes, no, what do you think I am, a common thief? He said, I already know you're a thief. I just want to know what your price was. You know, the truth of the matter is, uh, we don't want to be for sale. Balaam was for sale. But Balaam... He couldn't curse his people, but he did give that king advice. He said, listen, you can't, I can't curse them, but you can do is you can just, when you have a party, invite them to come, the Jews to come, God's people to come, and just start intermingling in their gathering. Let's break down the wall of biblical separation. You come on in and let them come in. You just keep inviting them and keep inviting them and keep inviting them. Get them used to the dark. Get them used to the party life. Get them used to the girls in, in Moab. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened, and it led to all kinds of problems. It's another reason we ought to want biblical separation. He uses him as a testimony here of somebody who had a covetous heart, and it led him. I think sometimes young couples, by the way, let me just say to you, Young couples, that you've been raised right, you married right, you're doing great. You've got some most beautiful young couples in our church. Middle-aged couples, let me, let me encourage you, stay active in the work of the Lord. Don't get used to a casual Christianity where you're just satisfied to sit and go to church and you think you're killing the big one if you can make it Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If you make it Wednesday night, you're really doing good. Get involved and stay involved in the work of the Lord. Don't make money your motivation. You seek the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. 
So many of our decisions are made because of a dollar bill. God help us. The Bible tells in James chapter 5, you weep and howl, you rich men. When you realize how much you, you live for pleasure, you, your, your clothes are moth-eaten, you, just, you, just, you, you, you mistreated other people because you had a little bit more money than they had. You didn't use your money for, for eternity. Didn't use your time. You always just let money make your decision. Well, I'll move over here. I can get more money. That's not going to fix everything. Lot tried that. He loved cows, cattle more than he loved his kids. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. He saw the big lights. He saw the money. He, saw, he followed the money. Lost his family, lost his reputation, lost his power with God. And I'll do the same thing and you'll do the same thing. Because some of you guys just, were just thinking all about just, and, and if you're thinking about that and you're really sincerely working to get the gospel, that's wonderful. Some of you, God's given you, given you gifts. Every time you think of something in the Lord's work, you're thinking, what would it cost to do that? And that's great. But you gotta, you got to know, the Bible says when we go, uh, we chase money, the love of money. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And it'll pierce you. It'll complicate your life. But we see Balaam, he was, a, he was, he was infatuated with money, was covetous. The Bible tells in Hebrews chapter 13, don't let your lifestyle, let, let not your, your conversation be of covetousness, but be content with such things as you have, knowing this, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't let money keep you out of a Sunday night service. I think there's some times where midweek service, we just, we just got to deal with that, but boy, I'm telling you, soul winning time, prayer times. This week we'll have the opportunity to have the service on Tuesday I'm going to ask that everybody try to go to a prayer meeting on Wednesday. Bring your families. If you can be there from 7 to 15 to 7.30, I don't care if it's 5 minutes, 10 minutes, just drop to your knees in one of those buildings, whether it be the Don Boyd Auditorium out there at, at, um, at Hammond Baptist, or whether it be down here downtown, come someplace and pray. Do something that will be eternal in nature. Many of us will do, we'll do unbelievable feats if we can get a buck. If we can get a $50 or a $500, we'll do all kinds of stuff. We won't cross the street for a prayer meeting. <laughs> it will not be, a, be present. And I, we've, I, I walked by a prayer meeting tonight. There must have been 15, 20 people in a prayer meeting, and I thank God for that. And there was another one up here. Folks were there for that one. And we have prayer meetings throughout the week. Some of you, you haven't been to a prayer meeting, you don't, you don't value it. You'll go to a... You'll go to a basketball game, you'll go to a soccer game, you've got staff members. As much as we understand this and we have an opportunity to serve God, you, you won't cross the street to go to a stinking prayer meeting. It's embarrassing. Shows where our values are. Well, I pray by myself. Well, pray together with somebody. You're going to find both of those in the Bible, Spanky. Figure it out. Go to, go to an organized prayer meeting. Whatever you do for the work of the Lord, all of it could be, could be lubricated by prayer. We need to do it. We need to get, get excited about it and say, well, Pastor, I just, don't, I, don't know, I just don't feel comfortable. Well, you keep praying, you'll feel more comfortable. I just don't feel like going. Go, and then you'll feel better. God's going to work in us. That's a spiritual discipline that will stand the test of time. I promise you, on a stack of 1,000 Bibles, you go to a prayer meeting, you get involved in prayer, you'll be very thankful that pastor challenged you with that. 
I'm not mad at anybody, but I am kind of frustrated with the, with the, lack, of, the lack of prayer. I came here on Friday night to pray. And I loved it. I enjoyed being here. I was by myself. Seven o'clock on a Friday night. Praying. We've announced it. It's in the bulletin. But I spent the hour by myself praying. And I, and I, and I love that. It was, it was what I needed to do. Many of us ought to be, ought to be, be of places and, and say, God, if this is important, we ought to be there. Many of us are willing to pay. We're not willing to pray. We're willing to organize. We're not willing to agonize. Willing to, to hey, some days, let me want to know what to do. We don't want to get ourselves into a place of humility and saying, God, we need you. Our country needs you. I, I really think this election is important. It's important enough to pray about. It's important to vote. I think God has given us a window. It's one of the greatest times in the world to live right now. If you care about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you care about politics, well, enjoy yourself. If all you care about is Fox News or CNN, well, you'll get discouraged and go to the funny farm. But if you think about what God might be doing, here at First Baptist Church, we're so blessed. There are some things going on around the world. Our little 4% of the world's population lives here. There's some special things going on, and we could have a part in it. If we could get our head screwed on straight to seek the Lord, to turn from wicked ways, to seek His face, pray. I want to encourage you to do that. So much of us, we're just thinking about money, thinking about stuff. We spend more time, you know, seeding our lawn than, than getting on our knees. We don't want that. I think that's what God wants. And we find Balaam. We can, we can throw rocks at Balaam all you want to, but some of us are guilty of his sin. Look at the next thing as we'll conclude. Verse number 18. For when they speak, they speak swelling words, and usually they, they're very good at, at speaking and alluring the lust of the flesh. False teachers, bad dudes in religious circles are people that they have talented, gifted oratory skills and they speak to appeal to the lust of men and women. They promise liberty. You know, freedom is not doing what you want to do, it's doing what you ought to do. Everybody wants freedom. And the freedom they were saying, oh, these people are going to tie you up. You won't even have your own life. They want you to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. They're just controlling your mind. I'm telling you, who's getting the way the transgressor's heart. His commandments are not grievous. Loving the Lord is a blessing. It's a privilege. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a burden. But this is what they're saying. Oh, they're promising you liberty. We can just give. You can just love God and do whatever you want to do. You don't have to do this and this and this. They promise liberty, but actually bring bondage. Look at the next one. The Bible tells us, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they have become again, what two words? Entangled therein and overcome. Their latter end is worse than, than, the, than the beginning. You can see Matthew chapter 12, 43 and 46 talks about that. I want to conclude with verse number 21. For it had been better for them not to have what? Known. Okay. I want you to quickly see this, the way of righteousness. Okay. I, I have alluded to this this morning. But I want to just say it to you quickly. Many people, they know how to be saved. One lady that I had the chance to talk to, we had her at lunch today and baptized her today. She said, Pastor, she stood out here in, in, in the visual welcome afterwards. She said, Pastor, 
I grew up in church. And I've, I've said that little sinner's prayer many times. He said, but never with conviction. Never with conviction. Always with knowledge. Okay, you've got to put faith in Jesus Christ. You don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. I've heard it since I was a kid because never really. It was here, but it wasn't here. He said, you killed me this morning in the, in the, uh, the discipleship lesson, talking about what it means for real salvation. And then today you told me some people, they will miss eternity with God because of the distance between what they know and what they have received. He said, people who know. And basically, he's saying, it'd be better not to know how to be saved and go to hell, not understanding all that, and to know the way of righteousness and reject it. Because it leads to reformation. Many of us, we are reformed. We are reformed in the fact that we, we, it's our culture. We know all the songs. We even kind of get the fuzzy wuzzies sometimes. <laughs> and and we, we're not saved. We're not transformed. We just, we just, this is what we know. Tragic. But, tr but reformation without transformation leads to degradation. That's sinful lifestyle that eventually leads to condemnation. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly. If the shoe fits, wear it. But I want to I encourage you. Make sure you know you're saved. Make sure you got that settled. Not if you know God, but does God know you? Salvation. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. People are going to be looking at God one day and they'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, on one basis. I never knew you. You're calling me Lord, Lord, and you did this and this and this. I don't know who you are. I don't want anybody from First Baptist Church that I've been able to have the joy of pastoring ever have to hear that from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're wondering about that, let's get that settled. Quit fooling around. But when we get saved, then the Bible tells us and, 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 the, and they know him, and they follow him, and they keep his commandments. Salvation is when God knows you. Living the Christian life and sanctification, when you get to know God, and you grow from faith, obedience to faith, you, you learn to obey the Lord. How do we know if we love God? We keep his commandments. Then the love of God dwells in us, and there's, there's all, it just keeps growing. Pastor, what's one word for faith? Obedience. Faith is just trusting God enough to do what he asks you to do. But unfortunately, you have some sick dogs and some dirty hogs that you see in the last verse there. Look, if you would please, verse number 22. He said, but as it happened unto them, according to the true proverb, referencing proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Sick dogs and dirty hogs. These are two things that Peter, as a sincere Jewish man, remember the lady who asked for God to help her and said she was a Syrophoenician woman? He said, you know, I can't help you. He said, even the dogs get the little scraps that fall from the table. He's referencing, he said, they, they felt like someone, dog, we like, like your dog, but in the Jewish thing, dogs are just mangy, they just ate the garbage, and that's, that's kind of what they viewed the Gentile world as. He said, but people who knew the truth, refused the truth, and then they just go back to their vomit. 
That sounds sick to me. Or a, a hog that's all cleaned up, perfume, bowls on them, and they, they let them go, and they find their back way to the pig pen in the mud and just get all spotted again with all that nastiness. So this is, these are types of, of people who do not know the Lord. And they're false teachers, and Peter doesn't mess around, doesn't mince any words. I want to encourage you, be aware of them. Don't get, don't get discouraged when you hear those things, but understand, it's just as real as known as in your faith, this is what's going on in our time, and we need to understand their message, their mantra, their manners, and, and then look to the Lord for help.